pickaxe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon and welcome to One Life Left, broadcasting live from GDC. It's the second day of our radio show. I'm Steve Curran. I'm Simon Byron. I'm Anne Scantlebury. And we're once again joined by Gamma Sutra. Chris Graft. I'm, yes. I'm like about 50 feet away from the, uh, the announcers here. so When I'm we nod at you, lips. just say your name, Chris. Chris Graft. <laughs> what, and what do you do, Chris? I'm editor-in-chief of Gamasutra.com. We are about the art and business of making games, and I am thirsty. And we are the United Kingdom's favorite video game radio show. We're allowed to say that, aren't we? Because we're basically the only one, as well, far exactly. as I understand. And also, also, it's very difficult to check that factually, because everyone's gone to bed at home. <laughs> Can't ask you. <laughs> How are you? Good, good. We had a really, really exciting and very long first show yesterday. Did it? Went on for three hours, and I, about I, two, and a <laughs> half, two of those are broadcastable. So. Sorry I had to shoot off at the end. Uh, how did you cover that from a, from a sort of plot point of view? <laughs> we just said you left. Okay. Yeah, it, was, it was very professional broadcasting. Uh, so last night we were uh, recording from uh, Chris's hotel room, so that was a very different vibe from today. But um, we are now in... The Moscone Centre, Moscone North, at the base of the uh, at the of the elevators. It's our, it's our second home. It is ways. our second home, and I think this is going to be a good show. We've got some great guests coming on. A lot of guests coming on. We've got an astonishing lineup, haven't we? Uh, right now, just to set the scene, we're looking out on a uh, a hall of people, a corridor. People are milling between rooms, going to see amazing lectures. And we've just actually had to turn off the screen for one of the lectures so people can listen to us instead. Very important. We are very important. Who did we turn off? Uh, it was VR. That was it. <laughs> so, so they this is real know. reality. Apparently there was space in the theatre, but people prefer to watch it from outside. Right, excellent. Right. excellent. Uh, so we are joined already by two incredible guests. Um, hi, Hello, incredible guests. Uh, sorry, I'm going to nod at you and say, please, uh, can you introduce yourselves? Uh, hopefully I live up to that introduction already. Uh, I'm John Warner, and I'm uh, the lead developer over at Over the Moon Games. I'm Andy Nealon. I'm a professor of computer science at NYU. Okay, fantastic. Um, Andy, what brings you to GDC? Uh, I was invited by Matthew Wegner, who runs the Indie Game Summit, to give a short five-minute soapbox rant. Okay, so can you abbreviate that five minutes into uh, 15 be, seconds? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be telling people that, you, that they need to stop using exclusively Unity <laughs> for game development. That's, that's blasphemy. That's in a nutshell. Yeah, I know How dare you? It's very controversial. And, I know, and I also, to be clear, I, know, have, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> I don't actually use Unity myself, so it's totally out, totally out of the blue. So if they're not using Unity, what should they be using? They should be trying all kinds of different things. They should be using, in the extreme case, C++ and OpenGL, like an old-school game developer. They should sir, be sir, I have a method that I use, and I'm not interested in changing. I so know, you can take your open-mindedness. No, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. Most people use it, and they know what to do, but if you give it to students, and they've never used anything else, they'll just use that and never try anything different. Oh, right? Fair so enough. So that's, that's the point. Fair the enough. point is, like, I teach people, and everyone wants a shortcut to game development. 
So I think, I think shortcuts are bad for creativity. That's, a, that's, that's my point. It's quite a bold claim. John, what about you? What, what are you doing at GDC this year? As well, uh, like so many, so many other indies, I'm just here to meet people and, and self-promote. And uh, uh, GDC, obviously, is the best place for networking. So um, like everybody else, I'm pounding the pavement and shaking as many hands as I possibly can. How many hands have you shaken so far? I think enough to get the flu, probably. <laughs> I think, but I'll find that out in a couple of days, maybe. 231. I've been to exactly one talk at this point, and I've only bumped into friends. So that's basically, that's the main reason I'm here. Free yeah. pass, give a five-minute talk, see a bunch of friends. Right, yes. John, yeah. what, so you, uh, you mentioned self-promotion. What, what are you doing at the moment? So I'm working on a game called The Fall. Um, the Fall has been out for, I guess, a year and a half, I think. I'm not very good with my numbers. Um, and I'm working on the sequel. And then after the sequel, I'll be working on the sequel sequel. Uh, when the trilogy's done, then I'll be sticking my head up from the, from the trenches, so to speak, and figuring out what to do next. But, yeah. Um, and apart from being on uh, what we're claiming to be the UK's favorite uh, video games radio show... Uh, what, what, what other tips would you give to um, indies that are looking to promote their stuff at GDC? Oh, good question. Um, boy, I have to think about that. Can I come back in a few minutes? Um, I've been basically just annoying as many people as I possibly can, um, just making friends and, and drinking a lot, probably way too much. Uh, I'm going to regret that at the end of the week. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm making some good connections. GDC is fun because it's always difficult to evaluate whether or not you're making as many connections as you should be or could be or whatever, but I, I guess it'll if you get out there and meet people, then it'll all come back in the end. So, what, But um, these days you can log on and check in how you're doing uh, real-time. What, what have you done in the past either around GDC or not where you've seen spikes in what you've done? Um, the only thing that I saw God, I mean honestly it's a, it's a brutal answer, but I mean I've demoed before okay. and even that I don't know that I saw a spike. I mean uh, the, the common knowledge that I hear is you know, even when you present you might not even see an increase of sales for your project, but the next project, more people have heard of you. It's that guy. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm familiar with him. So. This has changed a lot in the last seven years. I've been going here since 2009, which is actually not a long time. Okay. But back then, we definitely still saw spikes. Right. Oh, no yeah. kidding. Wow. Well, it was like if you were showing your stuff to a lot of people, they'd be like, oh, they'd word of mouth, and you get invited to something else, and it just snowball from there. Right. You go right. to like PAX East and PAX get into the PAX 10, you'd go to all kinds of different shows, right? right and right. we, because we back then, we didn't have to, we, so we, generally, Indians don't know how to do PR. We had right. no clue. Yeah. And it just, we got really lucky to be in that, in that time when we were still on the upward trend. Uh-huh. Right, so so have I, you made, been... I made Osmos like a million years ago. So <laughs> that was once a popular indie game for a lot, forever ago. Well, I just entered the market, so I'm like totally the opposite. I'm naive. I'm just I'm like so, the world I'm, is hard. I'm very sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. I try, I try to educate our students that it's kind of a shit show right now. Right. And that it will recover. It will definitely recover, but right now is maybe the time to also learn how to program. Uh, so that in case you don't get a job in the games industry or your games don't sell, you have another viable skill. Ah, uh, yes, right. yes, yes. Every year at GDC, uh, some kind of theme emerges across the course of the week. Uh, do you have any idea what that theme is going to be, Andy? Because we want to sort no of idea. we, we want to head start on this. And you, having been to one talk, have been to one talk more than any of us. So wow, no. So there's no emergent theme at all whatsoever. <laughs> it has nothing to do with virtual reality. It's not the big super overhyped technology. We'll see what happens, right? I think it's ex- I, I'm excited because everyone's excited. Yeah, I think that, cynicism maybe. Yeah. Oh, I'm very, I'm, a, I'm very skeptical. I'm very, very skeptical. But uh, I'm very excited for my friends who are all very, very excited about the prospects of what VR is going to bring to the stage. I don't know. I don't, I don't see it yet. That said, I have played Fantastic Contraption, and it is amazing. Yeah, but that's good. like a game. That's like one game that I've tried. I've no, I don't know what else is out there, but supposedly it's amazing because everyone's flooding the VR rooms. Mm-hmm. Right. Chris. Speaking of speaking of VR, is it time to take the tally? <laughs> so there's this big controversy that started brewing last night at the initial podcast, um, and uh, the HTC headset is called the HTC Vive. Vive. Okay. The Vive. Okay. Let's add two more. For Vive, Wait, no tallies al- for Vive. What's the, I was just going to ask, what's the alternative? Vive? It is. The we did, we had a Vive as well, didn't we? It was on losing Team Vive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not uh, happening. UK developer Charles Cecile. Oh, okay, okay. He said Vive. And we had a, we had a very flamboyant Viva as well uh, last night. Ooh. 
Interesting. And no controversy of how you say Oculus as yet, but uh, that's what we're trying to monitor. Okay, um, anything, any tips for the uh, rest of the show that you'd offer to our listeners? God, no, I have no idea. We've got to put our heads together for this Seriously, one. Seriously, I, I, I know there are amazing talks. There are usually some really, really good talks. I think Gamazutra even put out like a list for, I think for press, right? It was for press, but I looked at the list and it was actually a really good list. It was a nicely curated list of talks. I really think that networking is undervalued by people who have been here the fir- are here for the first time. Mm. Of course, it's a chicken and egg problem because you don't know anyone yet. Yeah. So it's really helpful if people have games to show their games, get to know a person, they'll play it, show it to someone else. I think networking is really, really important because that's usually what snowballs into getting people to know your game. Right. Yeah, I don't mean to slag off the talks, but I mean, I've gotten more value out of after the main event going to parties just in the last few days than I've got. You do not look hungover at all. Really? <laughs> no. Oh, that's good. I am well, not I'm... hungover right now, and it feels wrong. Oh, I see. Well, I, I'm, like, I'm uh, pacing myself. Good job. And for those, of you, uh, for those listening to the podcast who weren't here and didn't have the, tr- the opportunity to network with you, how can we, how can we follow your work? Oh, uh, I'm at Neelan, N-E-A-L-E-N on Twitter. And I have a website with my name, .net. And I run a thing called the Game Innovation Lab at NYU. So you can see all our research work and what we're publishing on that website. Great. And, uh, yeah, you can reach us on Twitter at OverTheMoonGMS. Um, we do narrative-driven stuff. So I know there's lots of narrative story nerds out there. So come and talk to me for sure, and we'll have a good conversation. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to One Life Left. This is Gama Sutra live at GDC. The far end of the table uh, from where we're broadcasting, I can see Simon and Chris Hello. wrestling with each Hello. other. You were engaged in some kind of intense discussion then. What was that about? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about what we did last night, uh, which I'm almost certain is uh, unbroadcastable. So talking of what we did last night, last oh, yeah. night we did our first show of the year and we had... A, um, a woman, Martine, who uh, publishes Hidden Object Games. That's right. Uh, from Tamalaki. And she, she said she gives a challenge for the rest of the week. Right. And uh, she sent us a list of things that we have to spot around GDC. Okay. I've got it right here. Right, let's go. So over the course of the next four, four shows, we've got to find someone wearing pink pants. And that was pants as in... And by pants, she specified jeans just in case of the language issue. Okay, gotcha. And then second, R2-D2. <laughs> a top hat. Okay, where's Oscar? Where's yeah, Oscar Clark? A pirate flag. A virtual boy. A bunny. Some pixelated clothing. A golden doorknob. A red rose. And, finally, some three-coloured hair. Okay. And we have to take pictures of every item as proof. Oh, my goodness. Which is presumably why she specified the pants... Our external pants, <laughs> because we don't want to be that sort of... Uh... Right. Okay, good. Uh, so, so, yeah, keep track of those. We'll do. Uh, we'll do our best. Uh, we've got two new guests on the show, Tan and Emily, right? Hi, yes. Hi guys. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, do you want to explain a little bit about what you do and what brings you to GDC? Emily, you start. Uh, I am the co-founder and CEO of Congregate, which is a um, open browser platform for games. We've got about 100,000 games, and then we also publish games on uh, mobile and uh, Steam and Facebook now as well. Okay. Um, 100,000 games is an awful lot of games. Can you remember all of their names? Are they like <laughs> your children, or are you just like, no, 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 that one's, you know, thingy? Uh, yeah, there's uh, absolutely no way that we could... We, we, we could know it. Um, I remember probably about a thousand games. Go on then, uh, list them. That's a good way of filling the next show, isn't it? Yes. Um, there are some very unusual subcategories um, of, of games. Uh, most is fairly normal, but there is a subcategory on our, on our site of Frozen-related surgery games. What? Um, Tan, uh, explain a bit about what you do. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, the co-founder of Bay 12 Games, and uh, the main game we make is called Dwarf Fortress. And uh, it's, I'm here just to talk about procedural generation, and we, we did a, uh, a talk yesterday on creation myths, generating them. You might have to move a little bit closer to the mic, sorry. <laughs> Is that better? So um, you're going to, sorry, you, what was your talk about? Uh, yeah, I did a talk on procedural generation of creation myths and magic systems. Right. Just kind of building them up from scratch. 
So our show um, broadcasts in the UK to a very, very broad audience, uh, a lot of people who don't play video games. Can you explain a bit about Dwarf Fortress to them? Yeah, Dwarf Fortress, it, it, it kind of aspires to be a all-purpose fantasy world simulator, but it's really just a colony manager right now where you have a bunch of dwarves running around uh, doing dwarfy things like drinking and getting into bar fights and <laughs> herding cats and so forth, growing mushrooms and... Dwarf Fortress is a is a cat herding game. Oh, no, what? I'm sorry. I am. Um, I love cat herding. Yeah, that, it's one of my favourite things. Thing. Um, you both have uh, very very. I would say uh, so. When people think of video games, especially when our audience think of video games, they think of a very specific type of games. But your audiences for video games, they're not typical video game players, are they necessarily? So what I would say is actually our audience is very much the typical game player. Okay. Um, if you look at Comscore, which is an online service for looking at comparing sites and showing their demographics, uh, the Condorate.com players have a higher percentage of console ownership than IGN or GameSpot, which are sites really? that are about console <laughs> games, which is really surprising. But the thing is, is that it's there's a really broad spectrum of games that they are playing on our site. Uh, most passionate gamer, gamers are omnivores, and they are happy to play you know, a massive shooter or a deep RPG, or spend a lot of time on you know, a, a clicking idle game like Adventure Capitalist or a launch game. If there's like a core mechanic and a charm, most gamers will play any game, um, and you see that on our site. Including the frozen surgery games. Uh, that has less than 50 minutes, <laughs> I'm proud to say. I just I find it bizarre and frightening. What about your audience, Tom? Uh, my audience is a very specific, uh, small group of people. I'd actually say our, our audience includes more people that don't play the game than do play the game, just because they like to read the stories about it. I mean, we, we, people that, that actually support the game, financially even, oftentimes do not play it. They just like to read the after-action reports and stories that the, like, the little core group of people produce for them and then spread around and draw pictures for and so forth. We've noticed um, a lot of talks this year to do with narrative in video games. Your game takes a different approach to narrative to uh, a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, we, we don't have a narrative or a story in the game at all. There's just so many moving parts that you can't help but just write a narrative in your head when, when this happens, this happens, this happens. You, it's kind of human nature to write a story about trying to explain that, and uh, it just pops out of the game. Do you have any favorite stories that have emerged from your game? Well, the, the, the latest story we had was uh, it was more of a more of a, a uh, accident with our bar mechanic, we just added the taverns uh, to the game and dwarves would come and spill alcohol in the tavern and we had cats walking through the alcohol and it would get stuck on the bottom of their feet. This was from having like bloody footprints or whatever. So, so they'd have, the, the cats would have alcohol on their feet. But I did this cleaning mechanic where they would lick themselves uh, some years ago and they started cleaning their feet and then they all got drunk. People were complaining, well, why do I have these drunken cats stumbling around vomiting everywhere? I just feel like we need to point out that that is not something you should do in real life. That is very bad for cats. Yeah. Dan, you mentioned this is your first time at GDC. Yes. Uh, you're speaking, aren't you? Yeah, I gave, I gave a talk on uh, Creation Myth Generation yesterday. Okay, how did that go? It was great. Uh, full room and people were screaming and yelling and loved the presentation. It was a live demo. It was very screaming dangerous. Screaming and yelling? Yeah, yeah. Hmm? Screaming and yelling? Oh, yeah. Wah, wah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was, oh, okay. uh, people are enthusiastic about the game. I, I don't have that many fans, but they all are really into it. Steve, Steve is a, a huge fan of your game. I was about to ask, have you, ha have you had any Steve fanboy moments at this conference? This? Because you're about to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had a, uh, a guy walk up to me yesterday talking about his... Uh, he's put 100 hours into the game and... He's making a Dwarf Fortress game with, with a better interface and graphics and so forth, and uh, he, he didn't know who I was. So it was, it was very awkward. Emily, of all the 100,000 video games on your site, which we're not going to ask you to no. name, which would you recommend our listeners seek out that will surprise them? Um, so the one that I've been playing recently uh, that I can't stop playing is a game called Realm Grinder, um, which is in the clicker genre, and it's um, 
let's just say the, the graphic quality currently is quite low, but it has a really sort of complex and deep metagame of, uh, um, uh, of uh, uh, reincarnation and, and, and collection, which is, it's a really simple game that sort of expands underneath you, and uh, you're not distracted by graphics, and uh, um, I, I, really, I really enjoy it. Okay, great. Um, how can our listeners uh, follow you both and find out more about your work? Uh, so I'm at at Bay12Games and Bay12Games.com. Game's free. Just come and download it. Uh, and I'm uh, at Emily G on Twitter. And, uh, um, and then our Congregate has a developer uh, uh, list as well, um, at Congregate Devs. Okay, thanks so much, guys. Welcome back to One Life Left live at GDC. Uh, still people milling around in front of us. Networking, hashtag networking. Hashtag networking. Which we've learned is very, very important. The other thing that we've learned so far is that there are men in top hats around. We have, we have a picture of one. That's one thing checked off the hidden object list. Um, also, one of our guests has brought with her another thing that's on our checklist. So we're currently playing um, a hidden object game. Uh, and one of our guests from the show that we recorded last night, uh, she makes hidden object games, and she gave us ten objects to find, or ten things to find and take pictures of uh, throughout GDC this week. One of them was a top hat. Done. 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 That was like that was easy. Easy. Uh, one of them was tricolour hair, three coloured hair, and we have this with us. So you should introduce a- yourself first yeah. before we start discussing yeah. the hair. <laughs> Who are you? Um, okay, this mic is loud. Um, Hen- Henrik Lola from Denmark or slash Germany. Uh, and Chris and I were discussing just the, the technicalities. Uh, is it actually three colours your hair? Because we weren't sure how rigid these rules were, Steve. Well, I, I put three colours in, but there's also a little bit of old blue that kind of turned green and okay. made a better gradient, so mm. I didn't colour that over. <laughs> you might need to take some backup pictures of people who look like okay, they might have tricolour hair as well. Because if we get de- if we get DQ'd, because yeah. this is some, some, some kind of bogus technicality, uh, we should introduce our other, our other guest as well. Hello. Hi, hi, I'm Nina. Hello, Nina, Nina Freeman. Welcome to the show. So, what Thank are you both you. up to? What are you both doing at GDC? Um, I'm just here because I got a talk uh, to the GDC Micro Talks, and uh, I don't really have a game to show, so I feel a little out of the okay. entire thing, but. Yeah. What's, your, what's your micro talk about? It's about all my game jam projects that no one wants to make with me because they're too offensive. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So can you give us some, some radio-friendly examples? Actually, we should check in with Chris about what we're, how far we're allowed to go on the Gamma Sutra site. You can, you can take it the dirtiest, nastiest thing that you could possibly <laughs> okay. think of. Most offensive. Be, be as offensive as you can. So, so what, what sort of game jams... There's actually, I don't know, that's a weird thing to share, but uh, there's uh, one slide that Richard Lemerchant asked me to change, and he was very embarrassed about like asking me to censor my own talk. Apparently that's the first time that's ever happened. But <laughs> the game concept is about uh, a GTA mod uh, where you play as the prostitute, based on the life of Eileen Wuornos, the first serial female killer, uh, female serial killer who uh, started murdering in self-defense and then ended up killing six people. Wow. And apparently, just going with sex workers is already tricky enough, so we decided to take Aline out of it. Okay. That sounds kind of like that movie Monster. Yeah, that yeah. was the inspiration for oh, it. Oh, that's a, I love that movie. Yeah, it's me really, too. I would play that game. Well, there <laughs> we go. I think we've just... Uh, have a customer. You should, yeah, yeah, well, you, you, should, you should... Networking. You should, you should make, make, make the game together. Now uh, I need people who make that game with me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Nina, what are you doing at GDC? Uh, sure. So I... Ooh, Oh, thank you. Sorry. Um, so I am also here giving some talks. I actually gave two yesterday, which was a lot. Um, I was on the in the Narrative Innovation Showcase talking about vignette games. Uh-huh. And then I did a talk at the Independent Games Summit about um, this game, Sybil, that I that myself and my team, Star Made Games, released like a couple months ago. Uh-huh. Um, and that was about player character embodiment and designing for embodiment um, in Sybil. Um, 
then on Wednesday, I'm part of the game design challenge. Crikey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super excited. I never got to go to one before, but I've heard like really good stories about previous ones. So I'm like super honored to be a part of it. How does that work then? So are you, are you giving subjects or? Yeah, uh, we have a prompt, which is a 30-year game. And there's four of us, and each of us design a, a game around that and, and pitch it at this, this, uh, this talk. Okay. And then it's basically a contest, and one of us will win based on which game the audience likes the most. Um, and it's, uh, I believe, myself. Um, Eric Zimmerman organized it. Um, also, Anna Kipnis is on it. Um, Chris Crawford and Zach Gage. Great. So that should be like super fun. And I, I, guess, I guess part of the fun is how you interpret that, a yep. 30 year game. Mm-hmm. Can you give us any clues? Um, so it? I won't spoil it, but I will say that I was heavily inspired by soap operas. So if anyone's into soap operas, you might want to come see Hello my and game. Yes. <laughs> Definitely will. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also I'm here showing Sybil, which was nominated uh, for New Open. Um, yeah, you, so. you keep showing up on the screen that's directly in front of us. It's very exciting. Oh, I was oh like, oh, good. I guess they're on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't even gotten to see it yet. I was like, I want to take a picture. So I keep looking for it. So I'll have to continue to look. <laughs> Uh, who, which category are you nominated in? Uh, Nuovo. And who, who are you up against? Uh, oh gosh, what else is in that category? I think Her Story, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Um, I can't actually remember the others off the top of my head, but those two, I'm a big fan of both yeah, of those games, so yeah. I guess that's why I remember. <laughs> and I think a lot of other really interesting ones as well. So It's always like my favorite category, so it's a pretty big honor. Um, our game, How Do You Do It, was in it last year as, uh, as well, so... Two years in a row. I'm, like, so excited. <laughs> uh, so what, uh, you're up, up to quite a lot of stuff. Are you going to have time to hang out, see people? <laughs> <laughs> I have a pretty packed schedule, but this is, like, I feel like every GDC is a little different. Like, one year might be, like, a heavy party year. Another year might be, like, a hangout with friends year. This year is more of a, like, meet up with people one-on-one and, like, catch up. Um, so I used to live in New York City, and then I moved to Portland, Oregon, to work at Fulbright on Tacoma. Uh, so a lot of my old friends are from New York are now here, so I'm like catching up with everyone. It's really nice. Have either of you noticed any themes emerging already at GDC? Have either of you noticed any themes emerging at GDC already? Themes. Themes. What's a, what's this year's hot topic? Do you think? If, I think this is kind of the year where no one really has much to show. A lot of my friends are like, oh, I just you know, took a break this year. I don't, I don't have any game with me. Or like I had an accident and I couldn't work on anything. That's kind of the theme. And I'm, I'm happy with that okay. because I have nothing to show. Yeah, It's kind of nice to just see what the other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Obviously, there's a ton of VR. I don't do any work in VR, but it's hard not to notice that it has a really strong presence at GDC. Um, it was cool being at the Narrative Summit and doing that opening talk because um, Clara, who was running it, kind of summed up some of the like overlapping themes between all the speakers on that panel. And a lot of that was like um, sort of thinking about games outside of just plot and like thinking about how to tell stories through games without like relying on genre fiction or like like very strict plot structures and experimenting so I mean every year like experimentation is kind of a GDC theme but it was cool to like see that brought up because it's always a good thing. Do we think there'll there'll be so much VR next year because it it seems to like it seems to be everywhere this year in particular Um, and the question that that a lot of people are asking is is it going to be a fad like VR has been previously you know we uh, tried it before with the uh, with the virtual boy of course those are the days. We, we've got to find a virtual boy. Well, we this do have to find a virtual boy, yeah. yeah. But do we, do, we, um, do we think that its impact on games at the moment is going to sort of continue for next year? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. Because I noticed you were about to shrug your shoulders there, which <laughs> isn't really a good answer for radio. <laughs> yes? We're just, gonna, we're just launching them commercially, so like a lot of stuff is going to happen, but a lot of the game gems are just really focusing on VR right okay. now. And, we have no idea where this is going, what's possible. We're basically just bumping our heads against the boundaries of that medium, seeing what, what's not making us puke. You, given your, um, your uh, themes that you've been using recently, are you excited about VR and the sort of games that Richard Lamarchant might ask you to sort of water down? <laughs> <laughs> your offensive v- games in VR... Ah, well... You could really have some fun there. I, ha- I have a few in the talk already, but I can't, I can't tell you all of my ideas, then no one's going to come to my talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, sorry, go on. No, no, no. 
Okay, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to follow uh, you on social media or find out more about you, where can they do that? Uh, my Twitter handle is Meshineers, like machine and engineers. Okay. Uh, my Twitter handle is HentaiPhD, H-E-N-T-A-I-P-H-D, uh, and Sybil, the game I mentioned earlier, is out, so people can get it and play it. Uh, it's at sibelgame.com, C-I-B-E-L-E, game.com. No one can ever spell it, so I'm always <laughs> like, I have to spell it out for people because they get confused. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks very much, guys. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Uh, we are back at GDC. This is One Life Left versus Gamma Sutra, live on the show floor in Moscone North, bottom of the uh, escalators as we are every year. People keep coming up and going, are you guys again? (laughs) (laughs) Good to see you. Um, And we're joined by two more fantastic guests. Hi, we're joined by Mary and Romana. Uh, Can I ask you guys to introduce yourselves a little bit and tell us a bit about what you do and why you're here? Maybe just start with what you do. Sure, I'm Mary Flanagan. I'm a game designer and a new media artist. And I've been on Resonance FM before. (gasps) No! Yes! Um, in my new media arts guys under Mark Garrett's uh, uh, new media art show, so I'm very pleased to be back. That's did you exciting. did you see any ghosts? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've heard stories that there are ghosts Genuinely. in the studio. Yeah, I, I I didn't see them, but it was a quick interview. You know, I, if I was there a few days. So I'm a board game designer and a digital game designer. Sports, all kinds of games. Just name it, I'll I'll do it. <laughs> Probably well, hopefully. <laughs> it looks like you had you, you just pulled out. Uh, something there. Uh, a box. What is that? This is a board game called Monarch in which you play as sisters vying for the crown. And uh, yeah, this is a new release of mine um, and my new company Resonim, uh, Resonim which is um, very exciting. Resonim is like resonance. It's very confusing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, I mean, it must be amazing to be a board game uh, creator, but um, you have to lug that around with you all the time, don't you? Well, this is for a man from Malta who can't really order it easily. So this is... I, it's I'm a not personal actually, service. I'm not actually... delivery. It's pretty much, yeah. yeah. Is that is what, for a specific man or any man from Malta? No, any man from Malta who approaches the, the table <laughs> will, will, will be given this game. First come, first serve. No, it's actually for a specific game designer in Malta. There's a big games program in Malta, actually. This, I'm not a specialist in Malta. I shouldn't go on. All right, let's go. And Romana, where are you from? I'm from Glasgow, so just a bit further up north from yourselves. Uh, I'm a games academic. I teach game design, or try to, at uh, Glasgow Caledonian University. And uh, here at GDC, giving two talks and looking forward to it. Cool. How is the Glasgow game design scene? It's actually pretty exciting, uh, thriving. We have um, quite a big games intake. We're heavily oversubscribed, which really? is a good problem to have. Right. And uh, yeah, there's quite a few of us actually out here from Scotland as a whole. Because um, it, it's, it's Dundee that's sort of known as the, as the Scottish powerhouse, isn't it? How, it what, is. what, what's, what's the rivalry like between Glasgow and Dundee? It's actually quite healthy. I mean, we get on really, really well, um, but there are a large number of companies based in Dundee. Um, all the indie scene is heavily based in Dundee. Right. Um, but we get on like really well um, in terms of academia. Uh, there's a lot of crossover. Um, we get a lot of companies coming from Dundee speaking to our students. Likewise, a lot of our students going over to Dundee, seeing what's going on over there. So. Okay. How do you teach people to uh, create games, to make games? Well, my background is in user-centered design, so it's all about getting users involved, Um, and uh, that's quite a heavy part of our sort of games curriculum, and it's embedding users from the word go as opposed to introducing them later on in the whole development process. Um, I I think Mary had some thoughts about how to teach people... Game How design. to yeah game design because she motioned like her head was exploding and she was screaming. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's, I, I was uh, first I was asked a question like that years ago when someone asked me, "How do you teach creativity?" Yeah, right. You know, how do you teach someone art? These are how do you become a doctor? You know, these are big questions. Yeah. How do you become a game designer? That's what we're here to tackle. Yeah, yeah. In like three minutes, no problem. Okay, okay so let's talk quickly. Um, how do you become a game designer? Well, first you have to try to make games, right? You have to try it in any way. It could be modding existing games, modifying existing games. Uh, take uh, rock, paper, scissors and make it cooperative. 
um, change the game goal to make uh, to make it have a, a, a you know uh, three winners have to do something together. You know, like you can you start it by modifying goals. That's one way that people try to get people quickly into games. Um, and also, I mean, there tends to be a, a, a this idea that digital games are something different than the 8,000 year history we have of playing games and beyond. And, and I like to tie those things together. Humans have always played, animals play, and we're still continuing that tradition on different media forms, and that's really exciting. I, I think part of my question is that, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I'm an older man where uh, my mother famously, I say famously because it's a story I keep repeating, when I was younger playing games on my ZX81, she said, uh, you'll never get anywhere playing computer games. And, you know, here I am in San Francisco, mum. Look at me now, but, mum. But, <laughs> but, but um, the idea that um, it would become, form part of the education system, I, I mean, I think it's brilliant. I'm just slightly jealous. Slightly jealous that it wasn't around when I was being educated. Do you find there are, you know, people on your course, Romana, who just want to play games and that's where they start, that, you know, they've chosen this because they want to mess around for three years? They do, but thankfully our, um, I guess, entry process is quite rigorous that way. Mm. Um, requirements are quite high, but you do get people who come in and they just assume that all you're going to be doing is playing games. And I think the big shock to their system is that we start with board games and they don't realise the sort of connection between the two or even like, you that's know... The, that, that's the Shakespeare of, uh, of computer games, isn't it? How boring. Yeah. <laughs> right. And they're like, when can we get to the real games? But what they don't realise is that, you know, in terms of designing, you need to start with prototyping and it's pen to paper. And uh, they're just itching to get on the computers and starting to code. And I, I, So I teach at a university in London yeah. and I find that uh, a lot of the people who who join the course at the start have a very, very narrow definition of what games are and what games can be. And that doesn't include board games, which is something we teach as well. But also, in the world of digital games, it's very, very narrow as well. Um, do you find the same, and, and how do you address that? Absolutely. Uh, when you reference some games, you get these blank stares mm. back at you, and you're thinking, I'm not that old, and those <laughs> games certainly aren't old. So, for instance, like if we were talking about games like Ico, for instance, one of my favourite games, you'll often get this blank expression. But what we tend to do is, in our classes, we, we get them, especially in the tutorials and lab sessions, um, we'll go through almost like a history of the games they should be playing, and they should know just expand yep. their horizons a bit. But, yeah. Do you have what amounts to a reading list, but a, yes. like playing List. Yes, absolutely. So if you're going to talk to our audience now, so our audience on Resonance are not necessarily video game fans, are certainly not people who would be at GDC, what would be on a list, a short list of games you'd encourage them to play? Oh, this is the, this <laughs> this is the is juicy a part. Fun, yeah, it's like trying to come up with a top ten list. It's really, really hard because mm. it keeps getting refined every two minutes. I mean, Ico would definitely be one of the games there um, for like a number of reasons. I mean, but it's one of the games that I actually felt an emotional connection with. And it's really hard to believe that these two characters could have such a deep impact on you. Sure. Um, oh, I'd say Mist. Yeah, Mist is Mist from the yeah. early 1990s, which was uh, an immersive storytelling game without uh, without too much text and reading. A, a point-and-click adventure that is still being used as a format today. Um, I think even from the more recent ones, like Stanley Parable or even Papers, Please. Like I think Papers, Please is fantastic. And again, mm-hmm. it's the way in which the medium can move you so you know so deeply and you're in charge of these people and what the actions that you take affects their lives and there's actually that crossover from game into real life because i think it strikes a powerful chord i'd say um the beowulf of of games might be mancala which is the oldest game actually ever found it's uh it's been dug up into rocks and things and historical and it's actually their early mancala boards farm found it from 6500 bc so really, that's 8,000 years of, of a board game that we still play. So that, so, and it was a lot about humans becoming agricultural and trusting fate as a kind of part of uh, survival. So, so there are some kind of spooky historical spiritual things as well when we go back to the ancient games. Let's go contemporary again. Yeah. <laughs> back on. I was actually thinking, I mean, I'm not going that far back, but one of the games that I absolutely love is Mario, and it might seem so cliched, but I think it's one of the games that perfectly teaches you so much about the game without, you know, patronizing the player or doing what current games do. It's almost like holding your hand and teaching you everything. Um, so the game pulls you forward. It teaches you what you can and can't do, and it's all through the environment and uh, very little to no mm. text. 
There's a free online game called Unmanned, and it's actually by an artist group, Molly Industria, and it's about um, being an American drone operator. And I think that's an interesting political commentary game that actually um, is free to play and accessible to all. It's Unmanned. I think we have uh, Paolo on the show, actually. Yes, uh, yes, he's here. Right he's here. Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super cool. Well, thanks so much, guys, for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter, and the handle is M-A-N-A-K, Manic. I'm Critical Play, which is named after my book called Critical Play from 2009, and I run the tiltfactor.org game research lab, and I have a game company called resonim.com. Super cool. Thanks, guys. Excellent. Thank you. Back at GDC right now with One Life Left and Gama Sutra. Uh, it's quite a vibrant atmosphere, isn't it, Simon? It really is. Uh, there, was, there was a massive queue just a second ago. Uh, I thought they were queuing to see us. <laughs> yeah. They were That moved away just as we started. So I'd be interested to know what, what, uh, what session that was. Uh, but it's their loss, frankly, because we've been joined by two brilliant guests. Hello. 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 <laughs> Would you mind introducing yourself? I'm Laura Cartman. I'm a composer. Hello, Laura. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm James Portnow. I'm a game designer by trade. Uh, I also write a show called Extra Credits. James, welcome to the show. You said um, we were just sat uh, chatting uh, whilst, the, whilst the queue was happening. Um, you said... Uh, so what, what exactly is this? I was just sent a text and told to be here. So. <laughs> yeah, so I, I still haven't gotten an answer to that. So what exactly is this? This is your initiation. Exactly. Yeah. Never you mind. You tell us what you're up to. So what, what brings you to GDC? Uh, many, many things, as always. Uh, but in this particular case, I'm giving a talk on how to educate game designers and... I think I'm going to bother a lot of people because my main thing is we're doing it totally wrong. Really? Yeah. Uh, so in what, in, in what ways are we doing it wrong? Uh, so I've spent my career as a game designer. I've worked on a large number of games, and I've at times been a professor, and I write a show about game design, and this got me to think about it a lot. And the more that I think about it, the more that I realize, the more other designers I talk to, the problem is that we're, we're, teaching, we're not teaching fundamentals ever. Okay. We're still teaching tools. We may be teaching, instead of Unity, we're now teaching level design or systems balancing, but actually that's not what a game designer needs. A game designer needs communication, collaboration skills, a breadth of knowledge, love of learning, uh, lateral thinking, logical thinking. These are the fundamentals that you use in every project ever, and those are the things that you're not actually getting in a lot of the game design trees. It's very difficult uh, to um, stand up and tell people they've been doing it wrong. Is it? <laughs> and I'm doing it in the education <laughs> summit in front of people who are currently doing it. So we'll see if we see me after today. Right, wow. Uh, when's the talk then? Uh, 5.30, I believe. Okay. Uh, uh, how, how, uh, have, you, have you spoken at GDC before? Yes. Okay, so what, what's, what's the process? I mean, is it, is, it, is it an easy thing to do? Is it a nerve-wracking thing to do? Is it, is it enjoyable? Well, at this point, I give a lot of talks, and so it's no longer nerve-wracking. Um, it's always fun because the conversations here uh, end up at such a high level okay. that I really love talking to people at the level of depth that you only get at GDC. Laura, what are you doing at GDC? I'm not sure. No. <laughs> um, I'm here. I'm on three panels. Uh, one is this afternoon where I'm talking about composing virtually but sounding real. So we as composers often don't have the budget to hire a real orchestra. When we're lucky, we do. So how do we make music sound great when we don't have that budget? And then tomorrow, I'm on the Demo Derby, which is a lot of fun, which basically our younger composers come and play their music for, uh, for some of the more senior people, and we tell them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And then Thursday, I'm on a panel which I have absolutely no idea what it is. I mean, not even Just a like clue. James here. It's called, <laughs> yes, we're, it's pro we're, we're probably doing the same thing. It's called, uh, like, uh, I I'm a GDC, but I'm a, am I a fraud? Which is, I think, perfectly appropriate. Wow. But I don't understand what it is we're going to be doing or what we'll be speaking of. So that, there you the go. That's the best possible the, talk to I, not know what you're going into. There it is, right. So we will prove that we are all frauds, definitely, in that environment. Yeah. Do, you, do you do much preparation for panels? I mean, it's, it's different to a, a single, single um, well, talk, Well, I'm in I sort of the same position, you know, where I speak a lot. And so what, what happens is you wind up developing kind of talks. Like, this is a talk 
that I gave at AES Games in London, and then I gave it at uh, Game Sound Con, and so I'll do it today. And then the panel stuff is, I mean, last year we were, um, we put together a panel, which was women, composers in game audio, and so that was something that I had more authorship in and, and, and organizing that. But the other stuff is, um, like the, the, the demo derby, you just kind of go and wing it. So yeah. you just got to be sharp and okay. make sure you've had, you know, 35 cups of Pete's coffee in the morning, and, oh. then, uh, and then you're ready to rock and roll. How long have you been writing music for games? Uh, well, I've been writing music, I've been doing music my whole life. I've been writing music for games since, I think, around 2002. My first game was EverQuest 2. Okay. And um, I, I composed most actively for film and television. And then the game stuff is something that I, I absolutely adore. And, but it's kind of like my, my hobby gig, right. you know? Like, I was on, in-house at Sony Online for a while, but th- now I'm a freelance composer. And so, for example, I have a series on TV right now that just premiered last week, which I'm super excited about. So I'm doing a film, and, and I'm not working on a game right now. So it just, you know, I'm more of a freelance composer than, like, a hardcore like gaming right. person so don't ask me anything <laughs> the truth is whenever I play a game I'm instantly killed like okay. like in the dumbest games like so if I were right, playing game Pac-Man over music. start I can't, with the game over music that's it you just start there so like I, I don't even pretend like I know what I'm doing because it's fraudulent so that's <laughs> why I'm on the, I guess that's why I'm on the panel but, but that's what the deal is there yeah have you, have you seen the general attitude to game music change in any way over the last decade yeah I mean Look, I came at it from concert music and from film music. And I was brought in because I was a a cinema composer. And I think people were interested in that sound. But in the last 10 years that I've been doing it, yes, I mean, the game audio is awesome. And I think you're seeing some really fabulous scores being written by, you know, by Gary Scheiman and Austin Winnery. Austin's on the the fraud panel, too. So we'll see what he has to say about that. But... um, but it's it, you know the quality is there, and I think the respect has really come. And what's interesting is, as I told you, I'm a like classical composer. People from the concert music world, from the symphonic world, are really really interested in game music. And you know, I've had my music played by Detroit Symphony, National Symphony, wow. and this is game music. Yeah. You know, so and not just on game music concerts. I'm having something done by the Michigan Philharmonic in in a couple of of, of weeks. So it's really. People appreciate it, and I think in the classical music world, people are looking at game audio as a way to bring young people into like loving classical music, which is really exciting. You make it sound like there was a time where someone, people are looking down their noses like, oh, EverQuest, the music for like, was there that kind of you know stigma type thing? Yeah, for sure. But you know what? Everyone's always looked at, looks down their nose at one thing or another. I'm used to having people look down their nose because when I left concert music and started doing film music, everyone thought I completely sold out. The truth is, my game music is the most sophisticated commercial music that I do. Period. Over out. End of story. Like I'm super proud of all of my game music and as a television composer I can tell you that the thing that's cool about game music is you don't have the same kind of restrictions that you do I mean you have certain things like obviously there are loops there are, you know, there, there are all kinds of very technical things that happen in games but EverQuest for example they just said yeah just go write music well what are you supposed to do well I think this is like fascist Babylonian mm-hmm. and it's like Okay, and you know, so so it's it's immensely creative, and I have to tell you, I have found that through every single game that I've worked on, that it's a place where you can be enormously creative and stretch as a composer. So I love it, and you know, I teach in the film scoring program at USC, and um, many many of those students who are in the most prestigious scoring program are interested now in in, in going into games, and because they see it as an opportunity, right. whereas film and TV. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there, but you're more right. bound creatively. James, tell us, talking of TV, tell us about the show that you, that you write. Uh, so, we write a show on YouTube yep. uh, that uh, years ago, as a lark, a uh, buddy of mine and I got together and said, well, we've been writing all these articles about game design, 
but we're only talking to other game designers. It's time we talk to the people who actually buy our games, right? The people who actually play our games. Uh, and secretly, I knew I was never going to get to make better games unless <laughs> consumers demanded better right. games. Uh, and over the years, it's grown to like nearly a million subscribers, and uh, we ended up doing also a show teaching history using the things that I had learned through designing games and showing that uh, this, this particular discipline can really make anything engaging and that we should use everything we've learned here for more than just passing time, which luckily so many games do. How do you find uh, the reaction? Because what, what you're teaching um, is a is something that um, not, not many people get to employ, I guess. You know, I mean, it has become easier to write games, but the sort of general audience out there sort of only have a sort of working knowledge. Yeah, what, what do you think is, is, is bringing them back every week? Well, what's fascinating to me is uh, I think you get more out of your playing experience if you know a little bit about it. If you think about where film is today, right, uh, everybody understands that a cut means we've made a jump in time or place, right? But that wasn't clear to the audience when cuts were being first introduced. And so now we can appreciate films and films that were just too mechanically complicated for an audience back in the 1920s. And the same thing's happening with games. As people learn about game design, they can appreciate their games in new ways, uh, which I think is what keeps driving people to come back and to learn more about it and to inquire more deeply about the things we can also learn from those games. So interesting. Yeah, uh, to briefly, you've got a million subscribers. Do you consider yourself to be a YouTube superstar? No, please God, no. <laughs> That is the sum total answer. I, it's really weird because I get recognized on the street. Do you? Uh, yes. Right. And I still don't know what to say to people. Okay. Um, and especially at things like this, it's you have that really weird moment where you're like, have we actually met before? Yeah, because yeah. I'm super tired. Right. I've met a thousand people at this conference. Should I actually know you? Oh, God, I'm the worst person ever. Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, James, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's obvious where we can find your work, I guess. Uh, Laura, how can we keep up with what you're up to? Well, uh, I have a great website of www. I can't. If only I could speak it, then maybe you could go there. An extra W. com. And I encourage everyone to look at Underground, which is a great show, which the series that I scored. It's awesome, and it's Brilliant. on. Yeah, it's super cool. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy oh, schedule God, to come on the so show. Much fun. Yeah, Thank best you. of luck with the rest of uh, GDC. We appreciate it. Thanks. And uh, yeah, look forward to hearing more about the fraud panel next time. Yes. Well, we'll see what happens. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. Welcome back to One Life Left, live at GDC. Some raucous laughter in the corner. Maybe well, that's us. It's our no, good jokes. Do you want to know what the raucous laughter is? So um, our previous guest, James, just stepped off the stage and is now in to the side of the stage and is surrounded by a semicircle full of people like he's some kind of... Well, I said Jesus... Because I think it, we it, should be getting in on that semicircle before it gets too too crowded. We can still get a good uh, good seat. Do you think we can claim credit for what? James's fame? Hundred percent. We broadcast he's, him. He's clearly done this before, though. Like he's just like, the way that he's arranged them so that they can all they just stand stand this far away from here. It's fantastic. Isn't it? Although I have to say, um, been impressed with the show this year, bringing people together. Both uh, sets of guests, previous two sets of guests, are both left going. Oh, it's really nice to meet you. We should hang out more. Yeah. And that's good to do. This you, is a network. Do you two know each other? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you? Oh, okay. So you've Sorry. already been brought together and you're together together. Well, they've been on the radio show before, so maybe we brought them together a long time ago. Oh, good. That's, that's highly possible. It's possible. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome back to One Life Life. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, I'm Reagan. Uh, I'm Mare. We're MetaNet Software. And we last saw you two years ago, I think. Uh, you weren't at the conference last year because you were busy making a video game. But that's done now. What video game? N++. And that came out. How are things? Good. Good. Um, I'm a big fan of N++ to the point that this is my second fanboy moment of the show, having had <laughs> Tarn Adams on You'll earlier. You'll be joining the semicircle once they step <laughs> off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. How do you think it went with me and Tarn earlier? Um, you were kind of vibrating. Uh, <laughs> I really was. I had to back I think away. you held yourself well, though. I don't think you went too overboard. I think uh, you reined it in a bit. Okay, good, good. Um, so, uh, M++ came out on PlayStation 4 earlier this year, and you've recently announced it's coming to PC? Yep. Is yeah. that right? We're working on that right now. Okay. Um, am I going to enjoy it and be punished by it all over again 
Uh, are there any differences? Uh, yes, we're still working on exactly what those will be. There will certainly be a lot more levels. Mm -hmm. And some new game modes. That's the most exciting part, I think. Yeah, the new modes are hopefully... We don't actually know which ones are going to make the cut, but there's one more multiplayer mode and then like a couple single-player modes that kind of change things up a bit. Okay, have you told anyone else that, or is that our exclusive? Yeah, so it's I've taken it to the press yeah, right now. So. I was going to say, Steve, though, um, as, as uh, out of the three of us, Steve's by far the, the biggest fan. That's not to say that we don't like it, we do, but he uh, has played it several times over. Uh, Steve, have you got any, uh, any things you'd like to see included? I think this might be your opportunity to... Oh, yeah. Uh, Interesting. <laughs> to, <laughs> ...to shape N++ on PC. I think that I would like it... Right, so the obvious answer is I'd like to be able to do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not very good at it. Uh, but actually, that's not true. Like, the, the truth is the joy for M++ is in how difficult it is and how punishing it is. There are levels of M++ that I've played thousands of times and haven't completed. Wow. And there are others, and it's almost more demoralizing when it says, because it tells you how many times you've played it and how many times you've beaten it, and it says one out of 2,161, for example. <laughs> um, and, you know, all of that's punishing. But uh, I was going to say earlier when I was chatting to you, I find that almost relaxing. Like, if death is inevitable, if, if, if it is futile, much like life, um, then actually all the pressure just disappears and you're, you're happy, you know, you accept your, accept your death. So no, I wouldn't change a thing about okay. it, is my, my long answer. Um, we could do that. I was going to ask you a question about the difficulty, though. I've seen a lot of YouTube players uh, who are far, far better than I. Have you been surprised at the skill of uh, your community? Uh, definitely. I mean, it's something where it's like every time we make one, we feel like we're prepared and we know, oh, someone's going to beat it really quick, even though I don't know how. But each time, it's like this time, it was like the secret challenges where we were like, it's, I think we had like an internal bet of like, and, and I think it, like it ended up being three days or something and someone started doing them. But those are the ones where we figured like maybe no one's ever going to do all of them or no one's, but uh, no, it's like a, a one YouTuber in particular on stock is, uh, he like really quickly got into it and I don't know, it was really awesome to see. I mean, it kind of made me feel bad because you're watching this guy try to do this thing that's like we've only done literally once because that was all like we just to make sure it's possible but it, it would took us like a whole day sometimes to just verify this one super tricky challenge as possible and he, then he's trying it and I, it, it's like this agonizing like you feel happy because you know this person's into it but then you also feel like oh god what am I doing like yeah. I'm destroying this we've person. done this once yeah <laughs> do you guys uh, collect uh, sort of live stats on your players do you know uh, how many times they've died? Which levels have been proven to be the hardest? Um, we intended to. We <laughs> like that's sort of part of the reason why there is a stats page because it's interesting, but also because we wanted to be able to do just that. Yeah. But a lot of things got cut for launch, and I yeah. think that was one of them. Sadly, that was one of the like just throw everything yeah. overboard. Right, right. We're taking we're on water. Kind are of we, are we to like to see that back back in for the PC version? Then? Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay. I think if it can happen. Um, we're definitely putting that in because it's just so interesting to see and Absolutely. like take a look at those stats. Yeah, because um, people tend to use that sort of um, data to uh, identify the roadblocks and yeah. uh, ensure that their players are progressing through the game. Whereas you guys can just sort of laugh, can't you, about <laughs> right. how, how tough some of it is? This is this yeah. is literally what I imagine. I, for, uh, for a boring reason, I had to send you uh, my user ID uh, like very soon after the game came out. And I thought, does that mean they can watch what I'm doing? <laughs> and, and just you know, sit there just shaking their head sadly as, uh, as I fail and fail and fail again. But maybe that's okay because failure is the point. Um, you're talking at the conference, aren't you? Yep. Uh, we're doing a talk tomorrow at 5 about the level design. It's yeah. just like how we approach it. And part of the thing is that like, we do really want people to succeed. Like, the levels are designed so that you can there's a, a challenge so that there's something that you're up against but so that you really feel satisfied when you're through it. So it's all about making levels that people know they can beat. They maybe just need to practice a bit more or there's maybe a little block but they can get there because that's what's so satisfying. Did you, um, did you find any interesting challenges in designing the co-op levels? Uh, 
because for yeah. me, it's a, it's a very different experience playing N++ and all the end games in co-op mode. Uh, you know, the yeah. atmosphere engenders between two of you. It's, it's, again, it's quite a nice background thing to just play and repeat that action over and over and over again. But I wonder how you design for that. Um, certainly uh, not a specific challenge, but co-op levels take way long, like four or six times longer to make. Just because it's sort of like two separate levels a lot of the time, but then there's also all the interaction or like, and it, it, there's always kind of ways you can cheat and beat them, and we kind of leave some of those in because it's fun. Especially we really like some of the levels where it's like you don't need two players to beat them, or you need two players up to a certain point, and then because that way it lets one player be the hero. Uh, but it's really hard. Like we tried to design it like it's designed for two players. We tried to accommodate four players, and we figured. Well, more players, it's going to make it easier because you have more attempts. And something we totally didn't predict was, and we sadly didn't have time to change it once we found out, is that actually sometimes three or four players makes it harder because of the toggle mines. Yeah. Because levels with toggle mines, when you have twice as many people as we thought, yeah. there's just so much more danger that it's like, some of the levels become almost impossible with four players. But. I've got one uh, final question, uh, for me at least. Do, so other video games, uh, you know, the community for video games can be supportive and it can also be toxic. And you find a lot of developers put their games out there and the abuse they receive about certain features in the video games, absolutely out of proportion, right? I thought that you were going to start uh, giving something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Good. Yeah, so, so no, but I wonder, your, your game is, is one that deliberately is intended to make players swear, curse sometimes, right? And I have certainly done that. Has that represented itself in the feedback? Do people email you, address you and say, why the hell is this level in the game? What were you thinking? Or, um, I mean, we do get a fair amount of complaints, but I think mostly they're, people have a pretty good sense of humor or they have a good, um, maybe you can feel some of that kind of sympathy and compassion that we do have for people, even though we try to make it really, really hard. But because we get a lot of like, oh, this level was so hard. I threw my controller at my TV and now it's broken. But seriously, great game, guys. Like, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, I think it's that there's like there's always the moment of catharsis when you do manage to push through. That like we certainly have gotten like maybe two or three just swearing emails where it's like this game is too hard. It's <laughs> bullshit. But but yeah, in general, it's like. We have a really great community. Uh, it's like really awesome to see people, especially the people making levels and like sharing them. And like in the PlayStation 4 community, it's really cool. Like someone will post screenshots of a level they made, and everyone's like really excited. And yeah. I don't know. It's it's like surprisingly not as negative as you might think. Yeah. Actually, two more questions. Uh, firstly, <laughs> have you seen anyone at the conference wearing red pants? It's pink, though, British isn't it? pants it's or pink. North American pants? Definitely pink North jeans. American. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Red jeans anywhere? Pink. pink. We're looking for someone. No. 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 Zero. Okay. And secondly, um, obviously, one of the themes of GDC, apparently, so we're hearing, is is VR. With that in mind, uh, the VR product that is produced by HTC. How would you say that? Vive. I think I might say Vive. Wow. Oh. 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 Do you know, I, I'm expecting some sort of huge turnaround because yesterday it was consistently Vive. Hmm. Today it's been, there have been more people like you could self saying Vive. I think by, by Friday, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's going to be complete Vive. Controversy continues. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. So that concludes our first floor show at GDC 2016. I think it's gone well. I think it's gone exceptionally well. Um, so we had our, we've got our list of 10 objects that we need to find in our real-life hidden object game, and we've already found two. Feel statistically quite strong for a start. I've thoroughly enjoyed the guests. I think they've all been brilliant. Thank you so much for everybody that's been on. I've also really enjoyed the very deliberate and obvious um, indication about the new world order, that as we're broadcasting a radio show, there's literally having people over there next to us having their photos taken with a YouTuber. <laughs> to, like, honestly, in order to do that, they are turning their backs on us. Uh, All we so want is a little attention, guys. <laughs> Good. Uh, what are you guys up to later? Uh, we've got um, a whole... Um, I, that, that was a question, by the way, while I was wondering or not. Well, actually, we've got... I mean, this show needs to get up and get done, so I'll be... 
putting that up and we are going to be doing some sound checking for an event later in the week. Yeah, nice. We're going to be doing some uh, hashtag networking, okay. uh, just you know, meeting, greeting people. Maybe, maybe somehow working out how to do our show on YouTube, because clearly that's the future. Uh, but yeah, this will be going up online later. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll have another three shows later in the week. But until then, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.